0: Welcome to the Dreadcast, I'm Donovan Dread. In this episode, we're going to hear stories from six different people describing their very odd and strange encounters with the supernatural. But before we get into the stories, check out DreadsArmy.com for daily news of the strange and weird. Now here's the stories. Hi Donovan, a recent subscriber here. I'm glad I found your channel because I research this stuff all of the time. I believe the government is involved with cryptids somehow. The reason I say this is because I have a good friend who was on a task force where their mission was to capture one. This happened a few years ago when he was active in the army. He was stationed in Germany and was sent out on a specific mission in Germany's Black Forest. He told me that he was in a squad of eight highly trained soldiers. They were dropped in a remote area of the forest by helicopter and their mission was to tranquilize this creature then airlift it out of the location. He said his superiors described it as a large bipedal wolf-like creature that is approximately 350 to 400 pounds in size. It's extremely fast and extremely dangerous if provoked. They showed them surveillance footage of this creature attacking a small German village and killing several people. He said it was extremely fast and agile. It jumped over a six-foot fence in one leap and ran through the woods like it was nothing. He said they were dropped off in the forest at night by helicopter. They had to hike about an hour until they found the exact location where it was last spotted using thermal imaging. Then they set up their gear and began to wait for it to appear so they could tranquilize it with darts from their rifles. They sat there all night but never saw anything except wildlife, such as deer, foxes, and owls. About 5 a.m., before dawn, they were getting ready to move out, and that's when he said all hell broke loose. The creature appeared in front of them out of nowhere. He described it as being seven foot tall covered in dark brown fur with black stripes on its arms and legs. Its face looked like a wolf's face with pointed ears. It stood there staring at them for about five seconds and then took off deeper into the woods. Several members of his squad fired tranquilizer darts at it, but it didn't seem to phase it. They began following it deeper into the woods. He said they were tracking this creature for about two hours when it finally stopped running and turned around to face them. He said it let out this blood-curdling scream that he described as sounding like a mix between a wolf and a human. He said it was so loud and so terrifying. He's never heard anything like that before, and he's been in combat several times. Then the creature jumped into a tree and climbed up about 30 feet. The soldiers were shocked by this. They had tranquilizer rounds that could stop a grizzly, but none of them would even phase this thing. They fired at least three more darts into it, and after 30 seconds, it comes crashing down, breaking the branches before landing on the ground with this huge thud. He said it was still not totally out and groggy, and it was showing its teeth at them while they were surrounding it. They radioed in for the helicopter, and then they put this creature on a very thick net and were able to airlift it in the next 30 minutes. He was up close and personal with this thing for about 30 minutes before the helicopter came, and he said it was the craziest thing that he's ever seen. It had these huge tendons on its legs like it was built to jump 20 feet in the air. Its back and chest were very muscular and very overdeveloped for its body. And the smell was just awful. He said it was hard to get close without vomiting. There was never any follow-up with the soldiers after that mission. He had no idea where they took it or why they took it there. They probably took it to some German-based lab, I'm assuming, to run further tests. Two years ago, I moved to Traverse City, Michigan for work. Things were going well with the new job and I was confident I'd be at the company for a while. So after living there for a year, I also bought a small lake house on the upper edge of Lake Michigan. It was a small, basic cabin, but it was good enough for the weekends away, and for a few weeks of the summer. I bought the cabin in the fall, but I only got to spend a few weekends there before that winter. I had two huskies, and they loved the cabin. Finally, my first extended stay was in July, when I took a two full weeks of vacation. I spent the first days walking the dogs along the lake shore, canoeing and just hanging out relaxing. It was just what I needed. Occasionally, I would walk the dogs through this wooded area behind the cabin, but I didn't do it much because nearly every time I did, the dogs caught scent of something that caused them to go berserk. They were normally really chill dogs, but they would start barking and pulling on their leashes like crazy. I'd have to drag them out of that area, and even then they didn't calm down until we got back to the cabin. I assumed it was something like a family of raccoons because a few mornings I had found my garbage cans knocked over. Then one night I woke up in the middle of the night by the dogs. They were barking like crazy, and it seemed like they were trying to break down the back door. I turned on the light to look outside, but I didn't see anything. I got the dogs back to the bedroom and locked the door. Eventually, they settled down, but just as I was getting ready to go back to bed, I heard it. It was some kind of howling noise. That must have been what set the dogs off in the first place, and I just missed it because I was asleep. Having huskies, I was more than familiar with dog howls. But it wasn't that type of howl. It wasn't a canine howl. It also didn't sound like coyotes or anything else that I've ever heard before. I made sure all the doors and the windows were locked tight, and then I went back to bed. Glad to have the dogs as a warning system. The next day, I stopped in the general store to pick up some supplies that I had forgotten to bring. The cashier was an older man and very friendly and chatty, so I decided to ask him about the howls that I heard the night before. I asked if he knew of any wolves in the area or something similar. When I did, he gave me this really weird look. After a long pause, he told me that the townspeople talk of this strange animal in those woods, and that no one had ever seen it, but folks would occasionally call the police after hearing the sounds or after having trouble with property damage. He specifically told me to always keep my dogs on their leashes, because in a few rare instances, pets had gone missing. I went back to the cabin more than a little concerned. I had bought that cabin as a refuge, a place to get away from work stress in the city. The last thing I wanted was to be worrying about some wild animal attacking me or my dogs. Over the last year, I'd became friends with a few of my co-workers, and I knew one had grown up in the area. I gave him a call that day to see if he knew anything about this local legend. When I told him what the old man said, he just laughed. It had been some kind of folk tale that he had heard as a kid, but it wasn't real. Some kind of Bigfoot creature. He suggested that I do what the guy said and just keep an eye on the dogs, but otherwise not to worry about it. Feeling a little bit better, I let it go. The rest of the week passed without any issues. But the night before I left, the dogs woke me up again. This time, they were barking and scratching at the door. Frustrated, I turned on the light and looked out again. I had put a canoe oar inside and next to the door the other day, just in case I needed it. I picked it up and I stepped outside. I didn't go more than a few steps. I wasn't that crazy, but I wanted to see if there was anything out there. As I got outside the cabin, I could hear a sound. Not the howling sound from earlier, but a heavy breathing sound. I was starting to wonder if there was just a stray dog in the woods. It would explain the scavenging and the way my dogs had reacted. I stood near the back door, waiting and watching. At this point, I just wanted to know what I was dealing with. All of a sudden, the dogs flipped out again, barking and yipping from the bedroom. I jumped, startled. I turned to yell at them when I saw something darting around the side of the cabin. It was outside the circle of light, so I could only see a tall shadow. I held up the oar as a sad weapon and stared into the darkness. This creature crept closer to me until I could finally see it more clearly. I was awestruck. It was this huge man covered in dark brown fur. It almost looked like a cross between a bear and an ape. It was so muscular and so huge. Then it opened its mouth and it let out this terrifying roar. I could see all of its teeth as it tilted its head back. Without thinking, I chucked the oar at it and dove back for the door. I slammed it shut and locked it and pushed the small kitchen table in front of it. Then I ran back into the bedroom and closed and locked that door. I huddled in that room with the dogs until morning. I didn't sleep a wink that night and occasionally heard sounds around the cabin. But I count myself as lucky that that thing didn't try to come in. In the morning, I packed everything up and ran for the car. And I got the hell out of there. On my way out of town, I stopped to see that old man who was the cashier at the general store and I told him what I had seen. He gave me a half grin and told me it was only a matter of time until it came back again. The next week, I put the cabin on the market. Before I became a teacher, I had a short-lived career as a park ranger. I had grown up in a heavily forested area and had been an avid hiker and a camper, so it seemed like it would be a fun and easy job. Right after college, I got hired by the National Park Service and had a brief placement in Utah before being relocated to Tennessee, specifically the Smoky Mountains. It was a beautiful area and I was looking forward to spending the summer there. Instead, I got the summer of hell. It started well enough. As a newbie, I was doing a lot of patrolling and routine safety checks, which was fine by me. I got to roam around the gigantic park and sometimes going hours without seeing anyone. A few weeks in, I got the first weird call. A family had reported animal tracks around their site. It wasn't a big deal. All parks have wildlife. But when I got there and saw what I saw, I thought one of the other rangers was messing with me, that maybe it was a hazing thing for a newbie, me. There were tracks, but they were weird. They definitely weren't canine or bear. They were human shaped, but huge and with claws at the end. I checked out the area and took some pictures and then helped the family get another campsite. I turned the pictures into my boss, expecting her to laugh and give up the joke. But instead, she was pissed. She thought I was the one playing the joke. I asked her to come out to the site with me but by the time we did, the rain had washed away the prints. Two weeks later, I got another call. This one was worse. The campsite had been completely trashed. The tents were shredded and everything was destroyed. Luckily, the campers hadn't been there at the time. This camp was in a grassy area, so there weren't any footprints, but I did find some light brown tufts of fur on the ground. This time, my boss saw the destruction herself but she marked it in the books as a bear attack. The fur didn't look anything like a bear's, though. It was much longer. Finally, in early August, I got a call about a lost pet. A young couple had been walking their dog, and it had slipped its collar and taken off into the woods. They were devastated. A few of the other newer rangers and I got picked to head into the woods and try to find the dog. We broke off into pairs, and I was teamed up with this guy named Brian. He was a decent guy. I had sort of become friends with him the last few months of working there. We walked for about 30 minutes, doing our best to cover our area. We whistled and called out, but didn't see any sign of the dog. There were two hours left of daylight, and we hadn't gotten any other pressing calls. So we agreed to stay out until dark before going back to the parking lot. As the sun started setting, we turned around and made a beeline for the nearest trail. We still had maybe 20 minutes or so until we got to the trail. And then we would have another 15 minutes on the trail itself. We felt bad about not finding the dog, but there was nothing else that we could do. Halfway to the trail, we started hearing these noises. Growling sounds. A low howl. The missing dog was a lab, and they didn't howl like that. It was almost dusk, so inside the forest it was getting difficult to see. We looked around but couldn't identify the source of the sounds. We kept walking, hoping to leave whatever it was far behind. At the time, Brian and I noticed this odd-looking tree. It looked like it had been mauled. Huge scratch marks and missing branches. I pulled out my flashlight and looked around the base of the tree. There again were these huge footprints and they weren't a bear's. They were just like the ones I had seen months ago. They were huge, but human-like, claws at the end and narrow. This time, though, someone else was seeing them with me. Brian's eyes got huge, and he started swearing. We were suddenly very aware that we were alone in the forest. It was nearly dark, and we were still far from help. We picked up our pace, going as quickly as we could into the twilight. We kept hearing these crashing sounds and grunting sounds, but kept moving. Twice I saw a dark shape run past, but the trees made it impossible to see what it was. It was large and tall, which was concerning to say the least. We were nearly running as we approached the trail, or where we thought the trail was. We had to be within yards of it when the creature barreled out of the woods and crashed right into us. I had a glimpse of a dog-like face before it knocked me the Brian, and we went tumbling down the slope together. We rolled for seconds before hitting a tree. I looked back up the hill to get a better look at what had come at us. Staring down at us with these glowing eyes was a creature I thought only existed in people's imagination. It continued staring at us and growling as we locked eyes. Drool was dripping from its mouth, which had me petrified. Brian was frozen too, staring at the creature with its dark matted fur towering above us. Then, in the next second, it took off running into the woods. Finally, I snapped to and grabbed a large branch for a weapon, and Brian and I limped out of the forest, bruised and sore. It was well past dark by the time we got to the parking lot. The other rangers were waiting for us. They were worried and asked why we were so late. Under the lights, they could see that we were totally scraped up, and we explained what had happened. Before they could even respond, I showed them the shallow claw marks on my shoulder where the creature had hit me. I told them it was some kind of dog or wolf walking upright because I had no idea how else to describe it. Even though I had Brian backing me up, no one believed us. My boss was just pissed at me again and threatened to reassign me. Instead, I quit. I had enough of whatever the hell this thing was roaming in those woods. Coincidentally, the missing dog was never found. It happened five years ago. The official ruling was that his death was caused by a rogue bear attack. You know when a bear gets a little too used to eating human food, so it doesn't feel threatened anymore and attacks a human. They all know it wasn't a bear, Though bears don't leave wounds like that. And they sure as hell don't pose the body 70 feet up in a dead tree. Yeah, I said pose. But before I get into the details, I should explain a little bit about myself. Now, I'm a park ranger in a very popular national park in the northern United States. I don't want to say exactly which one, although I doubt I'll keep my job for much longer anyway that's partially why I'm sending you this. I need to tell somebody else about this story. And like I said, my colleagues don't wanna talk about it. Being a park ranger has given me a lot of weird stories and everybody is used to weird stuff happening in the woods, but this was on a completely different level. For days, we had been getting reports from campers and hikers about strange noises coming from a section of deep backcountry forest. Growls, yipping, even human-sounding voices. Equipment and food have been going missing from backcountry campgrounds. All pretty typical stuff that can be explained away pretty easily. Many animals steal food. They make weird noises and even human voices can be explained by the sound that foxes and mountain lions make at night. But we needed to investigate either way because an animal that is conditioned to human food is dangerous. So we sent our veteran backcountry ranger, Craig McKay. This guy had been working there for 30 years, and was an expert outdoorsman, and he was my mentor when I first started. As always, he jumped right into the task, always eager to go into the backcountry, even though he was getting a little older. I'll pause now and let Craig tell the rest of the story. Well, his journal will have to tell the rest of the story, because he isn't alive to tell it. I found his journal and his flashlight in a backpack inside a small cave near the location of his body. A couple of days after he didn't return, we had sent out a search party to find him, and I haven't shared this journal with anyone, not even the other rangers, until now. I'm not exactly sure why I've kept it hidden, Other than that the truth seems so messed up and unreal, I didn't want it to damage people's memory of Craig. I'm not even sure if I believe it myself. Everything that I'm going to read to you had been written down over the two days he was out on the backcountry excursion on October 21st. Day 1 Today was a long day, and I can't say that I've made much progress. I've hiked about 15 miles over the course of the day started down in the gully where the reports first started, and ended up at my current camp, which is on the southwest side of Bald Knob. I figure it's a good enough place to keep an eye out for anything coming and going through the valley. Earlier I found some tracks in the ground. In the area, and as close as I can tell, they're from a mountain goat. Odd that it would travel alone, but maybe it was separated from its herd. Or dying. It had an odd gait. I followed them for a while, but they didn't lead anywhere. Near the tracks, there was this pervasive smell of death, and I assumed a goat got separated and died. Tomorrow, I'm planning to hike across the valley to the mountain on the opposite side and see if I can catch a track of whatever is harassing the campers. October 22nd, morning of day two. Quick note while I eat breakfast. Last night was a long night one of the longest I've had in a while. About an hour after going to bed, I heard light steps near the campsite. I grabbed the rifle and went out to investigate. No light so my eyes could stay adjusted to the dark. The second I stepped out of my tent, the noise stopped. Whatever was there knew that I was watching. I made a couple of circles around the campsite and found nothing but I could feel something watching me from the shadows. As I got back into my tent, I thought I saw a tall silhouette in the clearing, but I must have just been seeing things. It was too skinny to be a bear, and nothing else is that tall. The strong scent of death was still present and kept me wary all night. Today's mission has changed. I just got a radio call that a couple of hikers haven't returned when they were supposed to last night and might be lost. I'm still crossing the valley today, but this time to reach where the hikers were supposed to be. October 22nd. Night of day two. Stop for the night in the valley. Cooking dinner now. Chicken and rice again. No progress on the hikers, and still smells like death, though much stronger than before. I've just heard some sounds that sound like they could be voices. I can't get the radio to work in this valley. Looks like I'm not getting dinner tonight after all. Going to take a light pack and see if I can follow these voices. October 22nd, night of day two, second entry, scribbled. Dear God, what did I find? Barely made it to this cave. I can hear it scratching and gurgling outside. Going to try to block the entrance and see if I could stay here overnight. I found out where the smell of death came from. I got the cave entrance crack covered with a large rock and some brush. It'll have to do. The beast is still outside clawing at the crack in the rock. I don't think I'll sleep tonight. Not after what I saw. I might as well record this because this might be my last words. For the first time in my career, I'm scared. I don't even know what I saw. It was huge, about seven and a half feet tall. Possibly fast. Smells like putrid meat. Earlier, when I had left camp, the voices outside became more and more persistent. They were definitely human voices. I followed them until I reached the clearing, and suddenly everything was silent. No voices. No hikers. It sounded like the forest itself was holding its breath. I heard a slight sound behind me before I was thrown off my feet, knocked the wind out of me. My rifle was ripped from my hand before I could even use it. I was picked up on my leg and thrown across the clearing. I could feel its claws digging like knives into my muscle. Then the thing dragged me right up against the tree. I could feel its breath on my neck, breathing out a putrid smell. I could feel the blood pouring from my leg and soaking into my pants. The agonizing pain from the wound left me trembling. I could feel the weight of its body as it pushed up against me, ready to go in for the kill. I heard the smack of its mouth opening and preparing myself to die, when the crash in the distance distracted the beast long enough for me to make a break for it. I ran for my life. I didn't look back, but I knew it wasn't far behind me. About 20 feet away was the entry to this cave, that I was able to squeeze into. It's still outside. I could hear it shuffling and trying to get into the crack. I could hear the heavy breathing, the sucking gasping sound coming from its mouth. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Dear God, please help me out of this. I want to see my wife again. I want to see my kids again. My nose is filled with this putrid smell of impending death. If I make it tonight, my plan is to wait until first light and try to escape back to the ranger station. Those are the last words we have by Craig McKay. When he never reported back, we assumed his radio had gone out of range. But after a couple of days, we sent a search party to find him. Well, we found him all right. From the tracks, it looked like Craig left the cave early the next day. He makes it about 50 feet from the cave entrance, when a second set of tracks catches up to him, goat tracks, more specifically a goat with only two legs. The gate matches, something that would be a bit more than seven feet like Craig described in his journal. What we found of Craig was dragged 70 feet up a nearby tree and torn to pieces. He was hardly recognizable. His torso was jammed onto a short branch on the tree that kept him hanging there. His arms splayed out to his sides. His innards were strung out around the base of the tree. The jagged shadow remains of his leg bones stuck out of the early snowfall that had come to the mountains this year. Nothing appeared eaten or missing. Not a single piece of him was left untouched by the monster. It took the rest of the day and a special rope team to get him down. The missing hikers were never found. Those scraps of clothing matching what they had been wearing had been found in the same valley where Craig died. Like I said earlier, the official story is a bear. Bears don't do this. We don't know what did this. We've rerouted trails to stay away from this area, but we still hear reports of human voices coming from the woods. And we've had some more hikers than normal go missing in the last five years. Some are found, but it's always too late. Some are arranged like Craig. They're like warnings to other hikers who dare to intrude upon the beast's forest. Some are just never seen again.